listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist with ACB, Claire Stanley, and with my co-host... Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB. Thank you to everyone who's listening to this podcast via ACB Radio at acbradio.org or um, via the ACB Link app on your, as Jeff Bishop would call it, your A-Lady device because we can't say her name, uh, as well as listening via your favorite podcast player. And as always, you can find out more information about ACB at www.acb.org. Uh, we are the advocacy team at ACB, so if you have any advocacy issues you'd like to let us know about, see if we can help you, we'd love to do whatever we can. Feel free to reach out to us at advocacy at acb.org, or you can always call the national office and ask for Claire or Clark, um, but that's what we're here for, so please don't hesitate to reach out. Well, I'm really excited to talk to our uh, guest today. Uh, we are going to talk about a really timely topic. Um, so without further ado, before we jump into the, the, the real meat of the conversation, I want our two members to, to introduce themselves. This podcast episode might go a little bit longer than you guys are used to, and that's because we really want to take adequate time to really hear the stories of our own ACB members and hear their input on some really timely issues. So um, why don't we start with Valencia? You can introduce yourself first, and then we'll go on again. Okay. Hi everyone, so my name is Berlencia Somwa. Um, I'm currently getting my master's in social work at Columbia University, focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion surrounding um, people of color and people with disabilities. Um, mm -hmm. I myself have a vision impairment, and I mean, today we're just gonna be talking about all things race and stigma involving not only people of color, but also in the disability community. Um, it's a, obviously a very timely topic, as Claire said, with the current um, murder of George Floyd and the topics of race and equality that are currently spinning in our country. Great, thank you. And just to show her off for a quick second, also a past ACB scholarship recipient. So very, very excited to have her. Um, Ken, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello everyone. My name is Kenneth Simeon Sr. I reside in Texas and I am a member of ACB of Texas and also uh, have a title as immediate past president. I uh, serve as chair of the advocacy and legislation committee and on the national level, I am the chair of the DKM First Timers Committee, which we now call Derwood K. May Daniel Fund Committee. And it's been great to be able to serve in various areas within ACB and listen to the great work that ACB is doing for, uh, for everyone involved, especially those who are blind and visually impaired around the nation. Yes, I'm honored to be able to join in on this topic. It's uh, touchy, but it's a good thing to be able to look at what's really going on in our world and how people are being affected and how we can better deal with those issues to make things better by breaking down barriers that cause some to feel uh, un, you know, not included as they should be. Great. Well, thank you guys uh, so much. I'm really excited to really just be here as a listener to learn from you guys and uh, hear about your experiences. So before we really jump into to some questions that Clark and I have really just suggested, we, we want you guys to be the leaders. But before we jump into any um, questions, do you guys both in turn mind just kind of talking about your experiences? Um, like Valencia and Ken have kind of alluded to, we really want to take this time to talk about what's going on in the United States um, for persons who are African-American in light of all the awful things that have gone on for people like George Floyd. Um, and ACB is a group of Americans um, who are blind or visually impaired, but because it's a group of Americans, we have people who are black, white, et cetera, et cetera. And so we really want to take this time to give the black community um, the opportunity to share their experiences. You know, as as a white person, I 
can't fully understand or speak for your community and I don't want to speak for your community. Um, so we wanted to, uh, and hope that you guys could share a little bit about your experiences and also kind of the intersection between um, being African-American and having a disability because those are two minority groups. So um, I don't want to dictate what you guys share, but starting with Berlincia, do you mind just kind of sharing some of your experiences, however you want to frame it? Yeah, definitely. So I think especially during everything that's been happening and kind of the highlight point of George Floyd's murder, I think, I mean, it's definitely been a struggle. Um, just like having seen, being able to see the video and just like realizing that our society is at, has gotten to this point and kind of how are we as like just those people in our country able to like fix this situation or like add to the movement of Black Lives Matter. I think it's been, I mean, it's been very hard for me just even realizing that that could be my child one day, that could be my mm -hmm. cousin, that could be my dad. So, mm -hmm. and I think with the like intersection of me being disabled, it's really hard too, because it's like right now the conversation is about race, but then in my head sometimes I'm also thinking, okay, once we get race done, now let's focus on disability just because those are the two things that frame my identity. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I mean, for me, it's been really hard just trying to figure out how do I live in a system and also try to break those barriers and like try to fix this, like this race problem and try to fix like racism within our country. And like, how do you, while there's that continued white privilege of the majority, how do I, how do I help the situation and what can I do? to educate people and share my experience without having that like emotional labor take so mm -hmm. much from me as well. Mm -hmm. so, That's I really mean, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, I mean, it's been hard, but I'm also like, I feel like our country in 2020 is at this like turning point where I've seen so much that obviously like this is, this is a movement. So there's, it's going to take time. Like it's not going to be something that's just, snap your fingers and it's fixed. But I think we're at like a turning point where people are opening their eyes and people are seeing the true issues and seeing their internalized bias and seeing how they have specifically like the white um, community have so much like white privilege or like white adjacent people have how they have privileges that black people don't have. And so I think, I mean, I'm hoping it it can get to a point where it does change. And I think right now I can just hold on to hope that this movement continues and it's not just when the media stops talking about it, it's done. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's, yeah, thank you. Um, Ken, your turn. Okay, well, I want to begin by saying that I'm actually from Lake Charles, Louisiana. I now live in Texas and have been here for over 40 years. But remembering uh, just a few days ago when a friend of mine, uh, a white friend of mine, I have um, a part of a church that's predominantly white, and most of my friends have been, been white, uh, but they, they have demonstrated care and concern. So I always want to make it known that when we talk about the white community, we're not talking about everybody is bad in that uh, race or anything. There are some people that just don't see what really goes on in our world as uh, the black community and there are some people are not trying to understand and they they view uh, us in a way where we're being stereotyped as bad people and right. sometimes the darker your skin is the more you're viewed that way and so uh, prior to my friend asking me recently can, can we talk about what can I do as a white female what can I do to help this situation get better and so I said, well, let's talk about it. Let's take, take time to schedule a time and talk about it. But because I had to think myself and I began to think, wow, well, I remember my recent years. Uh, I've been feeling like I'm very privileged and I haven't gone through a lot of the uh, racial issues. But after a conversation, even with my son not long ago, this past Sunday, I really started thinking about some things that I, I did go through uh, with police officers. And I'll tell you, honestly, 
in my 20s, just trying to live and do good. I worked for uh, the telephone company from when I became 19 uh, up till uh, 20, uh, I would say 18 years ago. And so I was actually with AT&T. I started off with a local company, Southwestern Bell. And uh, that I was there for 22 years. Now, I had some great experiences on the job, you know, but there's always some challenges where people don't see you in the way that you know uh, you want to be seen or even observed as. Uh, doing positive things and being uh, proactive. And so, but I started thinking about some things and I realized that some, about some things I'd gone through in the 80s and 90s, negative experiences like buying a brand new car. And one night, my son and I, it was after 10 o'clock p.m., uh, decided to go to Kroger and pick up some snacks and some things because we were up late. Uh, I'd worked that evening, so, and the next day was going to be an off day uh, toward the weekend and all. So we went out and went to Kroger. And I greeted police officers uh, at, at, ch at the checkout. They did not speak back to me after mm -hmm. I spoke to them. Mm -hmm. So, and these were two uh, white officers. And so I went on, we left and went to the car and everything. And all of a sudden, uh, this car is following me. Uh, they were really right behind me. And, and so I moved over to the next lane. It appeared that they were telling me to move. You're not moving fast enough. So I just moved over. Well, all of a sudden they moved over to the left lane as well. And then, okay, well, they're still, they're right behind me. So I decided to move back over. And all of a sudden, I see a light flashing. And I said, oh, that's the police. You know, come to find out it was the same guys that I just tried to speak to in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And um, so then it was, uh, by the time we got in the store, it probably was 11 o'clock p.m. or a little bit later. Uh, we were heading home. And uh, so I said, okay, what's going on now? You know, I'm being pulled over. So uh, the guy asked for, came to, um, I asked for my ID and proof of insurance and, and uh, you know, who, uh, do you own this car? You know, because I had brand new tags on the car. Well, at times we are not supposed to be uh, privileged enough to have a brand new car. Okay. So you automatically are looked at by some that you must have stolen that vehicle. And that's the way I was spoken to. And mm -hmm. in the midst of, after, even after seeing my documentation of, that I had purchased this car and, um, and then after the, the rough tone and, an attitude of uh, the main uh, officer that came to my door. Uh, he said, now boy, you need to uh, head on home. Don't go anywhere else. It's time for you to get in the house, you know? And, uh, and I'll tell you, this anger rose up in me uh, because I thought, we don't have a curfew. I should be able to go out and do whatever I want to do, you know? And I'm not harming anybody. But uh, so I, I didn't feel good about being told, go home, boy. You know, and the way boy was said, you know, it's just a downer for us, you know. And uh, so that was a negative experience I hadn't thought about in years until I had conversations a few few days ago. And another one that I'll tell, uh, it was a female officer when we first, uh, this was uh, in the 90s or early, uh, late 80s, where we were uh, moving toward you having to have uh, insurance for your car. And they were just pulling people over randomly to to confirm that. Well, my stop was more than, turned into more than that. A white female cop very rudely uh, talked to me uh, and, and really just really made me feel less than a human. Um, and I was just ready to provide to her what she needed. But at that time, I was actually not driving my car. Uh, I was younger at that time where um, my car had been down and my sister asked me to go and sit at her home. Uh, for their uh, unit to be worked on because it was winter and the heating unit was not working. So her and her husband had to be at work. So here I am driving their vehicle and I did not know where their insurance uh, paperwork would be or anything other than the glove compartment. When I tried to reach for that, as she asked me for it, she said, don't you touch that, that glove compartment. And I don't know what you're doing over there, but uh, she said, no, I'm going to come around there, unlock the door. I'm going to come around there and do it myself because we don't want you to try anything. You know, it, I was just being judged really uh, harshly and her tone. And so, uh, okay, I thought once she, she noticed that, uh, she said that there was nothing proving that I had that, that was insurance on, on that car. So I received a ticket that day, and but uh, that wasn't, that didn't end everything. And after the way I was really spoken to, uh, I almost lost it. But she wanted me to read the VIN number. Uh, and I was telling her I didn't actually know where it was. She said, it's right there on the left corner of the windshield, read it. And, uh, and I started reading it. And then I was told that, you know, you're not reading clear enough, read it louder, boy, you know, 
And uh, and I said I paused for a minute because I was about to respond negatively, and I just went ahead and did what I had to do to just to be get this over with and leave. But she continued to provoke me to anger, and then I just had to calm down and say, "Ma'am, can I go now, please? Because I've, you've, you've looked at things you needed to look at, and I, I I'm really trying to make it to my sister's home, as I told you about what she asked me where I was going and all that." So. Uh, but she 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 really just uh it took a while after that for me to actually be dismissed and feel free enough to go without uh, causing a problem so but i did but i never i had forgotten all about that until recently you know because i was thinking you know I, I get along with people and i haven't been really mistreated but what i realized though sometimes when you talk about oppression or think about oppression i think that our behaviors are sometimes uh prompted by uh, making sure that we are in, we are obedient, you know, so that we don't get in trouble, you know, mm -hmm. and you find yourself uh, applying more pressure to your, your own life by trying to be with somebody else, expects you to be so they don't think you're something else. And, uh, and sometimes that has put uh, an extra burden on us uh, as we go through things. You want to make sure you're out at night, you may be stopped if you are. Uh, visiting somewhere uh, in a place they, they may be looking at you to see what you are doing going to the grocery store i've had people to follow me not in a grocery store but a department store following me uh you know and i'm looking at this okay i know security is always around but they look at you as you may you are you because of your color of your skin you may be one to try to steal you know so uh and all of those types of challenges we face uh, I think I, I, th I felt I had gotten over all of those things, those times that I experienced those negatives and uh, moved forward. But I did live a life where I, I was determined to work and get my own vehicle home and everything. And uh, so I didn't have much problem. And I've always uh, been a part of uh, a community for some reason where it was majority uh, white people. And uh, so I've had positive experiences. So I, I dismissed all the negative and moved on. And uh, every once in a while, uh, this, this negativity peaks its head, ugly head again. And uh, and so we have to really focus on what really matters and not allow anybody to drive our uh, reactions and uh, think about things about how you would handle a situation before you even, uh, it appears uh, to affect you negatively. So mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like there's some, some room for growth in America and we are hoping that everyone will be able to respect one another we've all if we all did that that would make a big difference but when you have had uh this like, systemic uh type thing going on for so long it's a hard thing to just get rid of there's a lot of people that have to really sit down and think about uh why i look at things the way i do uh why if i why have i looked down on this this race you know that i just do it because of what i heard some people say that I look at, uh, consider facts, you know, to base my opinions. Uh, it's so important that everybody take time to do that today so that we can move forward in a positive way uh, and just begin to respect one another more, mm. regardless of the race or the culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think you hit on a great point, just in the fact that when I say white community, it's not to blame or point fingers at anyone. It's just, or like even just like, non-white adjacent people it's just that just is who the majority is and it's like we're moving through the world where we have a we have a different perspective of course and like how you said that there those negative ex negative experiences you've just continue to live your life and pass like through them and until the conversation's brought up then you're realizing like does this happen to everyone or is it just because of my skin tone? Mm -hmm. And I think that's just like a very important thing to emphasize is that like this conversation about black rights and like the black lives matter movement, it's so important because of the fact that us as black people or in the black community, we have experiences that not everyone has and we have those experiences because of our skin tone. Can you guys talk a little bit more about the Black Lives Matter movement and just kind of give your opinion and your experiences with it? Um, have you found it helpful or um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah, what have you guys' experiences been? Okay, Valencia. Okay. Um, I mean, so far, I think as I've seen it right now, this is the most that it's been like 
in the media and like people are like talking and as like a black person we're asking people to stand with us now not just to stand behind us or stand by our side but to stand with us um mm -hmm. i think in the past the black lives matter movement it was like like these instances happened where there's police brutality and it kind of just gets pushed under the rug because not that there are other in, more important issues but that's just how our media has worked in in those instances and i think right now because the conversation has shifted and because of george floyd's murder it's so it's so much more prevalent and we're seeing it so much we're seeing it way too often that it's it's becoming so like emphasized in our not only in our in our media but in like social media and through the people we know our network of people um so i think right now the black lives matter movement we're seeing it not just as a like one day one week thing but it's something that we're like people are realizing that this needs to stop and this needs to end and um I'm, I'm happy that it's the conversation's happening now, but I also think it's taken a very long time to get to this point. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's correct. Uh, with Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, when I first heard about it, I, I didn't really get involved, uh, but nowadays I've been more prompted to find out how can I participate? I wasn't able to participate in a recent protest or anything like that uh, because of social distancing and I want to be remain safe. but. Uh, it's, it's important that we really see what's really happening and why it's happening. Uh, some people I've heard uh, just make comments about why do you feel like your life matters more than my life? And, and that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is what has been going on because of what's been going on and how uh, some from the black community have been just totally mistreated uh, and, and harm caused and uh, prior to having uh, the smartphones out there that may be suddenly uh, videoing what's going on uh things happened before that nobody found out about now more is coming out because of what's happening uh, and also because of what happened to, to george floyd uh, just recently in my own town uh, a video was released that where two cops did the same thing had their the, the one guy had his knee on a young man's neck uh just being at a mall uh here and uh, this video was taken in February this year, but it just came out a few days ago after what happened to George Floyd. And so, wow, when you hear this uh, witness it happening in your own town, wow, you just you think, wow, this is what is gonna happen here. But they, some changes have come from that through uh, conversations and with our city council getting involved. And, and so some things have ch uh, changed where they're, gonna, they're discontinuing that practice, you know, because mm -hmm. it's, it was so, supposed to be uh, only be used when uh, went totally necessary to keep someone in place, but uh, sometimes it's unnecessary and it, it could have caused that young teenager uh, the same harm that happened to George Floyd. Uh, but we all need to really just step back and think about where we are with our views, uh, regardless of what race we, we are. Consider where we are, what our world is like, and what can we do to play a part in the salute, being part of the solution instead of continuing or increasing the problem and mm -hmm. so it really takes some time for us to really uh listen listen more uh observe what's really happening and happening around us and and base your opinion uh on facts mm -hmm. more than just something you heard uh some hearsay that's going on because there's a good message out at times and it's passed on from one person to another and it, it's diluted to into something that's totally different from what it was originally uh, meant to be. And that causes more problems. So uh, this is something that we need to continue to work on. And it's going to be uh, something we have to come up with innovative thoughts to be able to work together, whether it be through organization or, or just individuals coming together to say, what can we do? And everybody, uh, do it just do their own part to, to make sure that everybody knows that they matter and thank you for sharing your stories um about how you've been profiled and racially mistreated and judged um based off the color of your skin and yes because the videos are out there um it, it's sad that we need to watch for 
eight plus minutes, somebody be murdered um, for folks to realize that this, this is happening in the world. And it's, it's not, it's not something that people are making up. Um, it's, it's real and it's, it's, it's a virus in a, in a sickness just like COVID-19 is. Um, but it's police brutality or police profiling. Um, it, it's not the only form that racism takes. Um, let's talk a little bit about the other forms that racism takes, especially like in, in our environments and in our communities. Yes. Okay, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Professor. I just said yes. Okay. I mean, yeah, racism, I think I've been reading a lot. And from even just my own experiences, my lived experience, I think that racism is taught. It's not, you don't, you're not just like born racist kind of thing. It's taught. And even while it's not, like even even while it's not um, a purposeful thing, like you're not purposefully taught it. Sometimes, like even if you think about parents or like teachers, sometimes because of that internalized bias or that internalized racism that people aren't even aware of them having, then it's passed along in like our education systems and in the way you treat someone at a store and just those practices are that like internalized racism being passed along through our generations. Um, and I don't think it's just a like thing we need to worry about in like white communities, but I was reading um, an article and it was like, think of like someone who's like, a Latin person and my family is also from Africa. So like even just like an African person who goes and says, oh, well, African-Americans don't have culture or someone from a Latin community who crosses the street because um, they see a black person, like those things aren't, you're not purposefully being racist, but that is your internalized bias and your internalized racism. And I think, yes, we can see that of course, in the police systems and the one of the issues that has caused police brutality, but that's just one, and that's just a few examples of like internal racism and racism in our environment that the way you, even just the way in your behavior, like I'm, I mean, I live in New York, so it's like even just on the subway when you see someone and you're like, if I sit down and I see someone hesitate to sit next to me just because I'm black, that's an internalized bias. While they don't think, oh, that didn't hurt their feelings, or while they don't think I'm not racist, but that's an internalized racism that they are now acting on. I like the fact that you spoke about, um, you know, racism, uh, you're not born with it. Um, and so, just going to school, work, whatever it may be, as you tune into what's going on around you, as I have, uh, you witness statements that are being made and from a child hearing these things from parents, grandparents, or whatever it may be, uh, sometimes they start, they begin to adopt what they're, they're listening to, you know, because if my mom or my dad or grandfather or grandmother believes this, it must be right. And, uh, and they go on not really thinking about how this will affect their lives later on and what their views may be uh, further on in life. And then they, they may have to take time today and say, go back as they've aged. Uh, I wonder where I got this from. I mean, why am I feeling this way against these people? You know, this, may, they, this situation that we're facing now may prompt some people to think about where did this get started in my world, mm -hmm. you know, in my family? And uh, what can I do? Just something, is this something I should continue promoting? Uh, because by even speaking about it in the tone that I have heard it in, then I would pass it on to others and even younger people, even my own children, if I am uh, you know, in that place where we're trying to move forward with even our own families. So it is totally uh, something we have to consider. I wanted to touch on a little bit about even education. But before I hit that, I definitely remembered something as Valencia spoke. 
years ago, I was walking. Uh, I worked downtown. So I was walking. There's a restaurant downtown or whatever. You know, I was walking just to go and have lunch. Well, you know, you're not you're paying attention to where you're headed. But all of a sudden you hear these power locks, the car lock, because you're at uh, this person is mm -hmm. at a red light. I looked toward that and saw a white lady um, right, and it happened right when I passed by. So uh, some people make you feel, they don't realize how they may have made you feel by doing that. Mm -hmm. I, I felt bad that day. She evidently thought I was a danger to her. So, uh, and it was something how you can hear those power locks and you just start thinking, but keep moving, you know, and, uh, and think about those things, how they may have affected people. I don't know if people really think about that everybody is not how you view them. And at times we have to make sure that we don't adopt somebody else's view of us in order to, because we would, it could cause you to react in a negative way and you would cause more harm than good. So we have to find out who we are, believe who, in who we are, where we should be and keep living in that, moving in that direction, be honored with, regardless of what somebody else thinks of us. I told a lady years ago, your opinion of me doesn't make me that, that, that thought that you have about me, but who I am, I know who I am, and that's the most important thing, that we know our own identity and don't allow someone else to determine our identity, you know, mm, how yeah. we move forward in our lives. Yeah, and I definitely think that that idea of behavior is so important, especially when we're talking about allyship and we're t asking um, the majority to stand with us, especially in the Black Lives Matter movement, just because while you can say you like stand with us or while you can say like you're working towards becoming anti-racist your behaviors also need to portray that too because it's the behaviors and how you're acting which is causing that systemic racism to continue um so i think it's so important that like we touch on like behavior and focusing on while you can say your words matter how your actions matter too. Your actions can even matter more sometimes um, because it's the, the words you say sometimes don't match the reactions that you have. Mm. Yeah. And even as we advocate uh, through ACB, the things that we do at ACB and beyond, uh, we have to be careful about how we uh, uh, present ourselves in advocacy. Sometimes we, you, you may be uh, unhappy about an issue and if you present it in a negative way, you really won't be heard. Uh, so we have to approach things in a positive manner. And uh, as we talk about peaceful protesting, uh, it's, it's important that that remains that way in order for, to, for your voice to be heard. Uh, people will tune in more to what you're trying to say in, and your, uh, monitor your actions and all by you doing it in a peaceful manner and respectfully. And they, they will be more uh, in tune with what you're trying to, uh, your message, the message you're trying to convey. Mm -hmm. So you brought up there, Ken, um, ACB, and so thanks for bringing that up because that's who we are. Um, how can ACB become more involved? You know, uh, we're a big group, and my, my desire is that we become more diverse. How can we do that? How can ACB get involved? What should AB, ACB members be doing? How can we help? And I know that's probably a big ask, but I'm just curious what you guys' suggestions and thoughts might be. I mean, I definitely think um, giving space to people of color um, and the black community to share your experiences and mm. to share our experiences and to just like have the, I guess, realization that while ACB is focused on um, people who are blind or who visually impaired, um, that that's not their only identity. Mm -hmm. um, I think that like working in like the disability community and like focusing like my degree on that, I think we have that f some singular focus sometimes on, oh, I'm an advocate for like the blind community. I'm an advocate for people of color. But in a lot of cases, like, I mean, everyone has multiple identities. Mm -hmm. And so I think just like realizing that and like creating like space for people and for space for people to like be aware that yes i'm for example me i am a black female and i am a person with a disability as well like it's not just i'm only 
I'm not only black, I'm not only female, I'm not only visually impaired, but I'm all three. Mm -hmm. And my experience from someone who's a black male who's visually impaired is so different too. Mm-hmm. And so I think giving space to people to like connect and like reaching out to other organizations to even like just educate and get like help advocate for multiple identities is so important. And I think it's something that ACB can and will start doing. And one of our future leaders of ACB, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're not letting you go. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, I would like to bring up the fact that uh, and, and show appreciation for ACB, uh, you know, publicizing uh, the uh, statement of solidarity uh, in support of what's going on now uh, in the black community. And ACB uh, stands out by doing that and support offering support to members and even encourage leaders to to make sure that they uh, demonstrate uh, respect and uh, that uh, respect for humanity in general. And yeah. uh, then uh, when uh, it mentions about our core values, now that's very interesting. There's two of those values that really stuck out to me as I reviewed that. And really speaking of integrity uh, and, uh, you know, uh, peace and justice are really what I like about uh, the core values, though, and, and, and with integrity and making sure that we are being flexible. And that's a time of need right now. What that core value flexibility, we need more flexibility from everyone to really look at outside of your frame of reference and what's going on with, with everyone else more than just yourself. I think that's very positive. Yeah. And Ken, earlier you had mentioned that you wanted to talk some about education. Yes. Racism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, focusing on like environmental uh, racism. Um, you know, there's several things that we, we have uh, identified in the black community. But as far as education, I had an experience years ago that just came to me last night. I hadn't thought about this. It was like fifth grade. So I, I, my mother passed away when I had just become nine in December. She passed away that January. So uh, my dad, you know, all, he didn't always do what he should have done as a father. So we went to live with my mom's sister. Uh, there was five of us left at home. I'm the last out of 12. And so there were five of us that went uh you know we were left but so my brother and i and a sister we went to live with my aunt and so being where she lived we were bused to a white school well i feel like that was one of my greatest experiences experiences in school but what i want to bring up about education how the black community may feel and have experienced educational barriers uh mm-hmm. that, that really goes over into the disability community community too but i went to in the fifth grade i went to this school and I was a, you know, honor roll student and everything. And I, I loved, I felt so good that year. I was given uh, respect and attention. And so, but the next year I went back to live with my dad. And so we went back to the elementary school near our home, which was predominantly black and, um, and even the teachers. And so when I went back though, guess what? A year later, they were just getting started on the very topic that I had done well in at the other school. So I, I made, you know, good grades that, that year too. But I also remember I sat there in a the class. Why are they just getting on this? Wow, I, we did this at the other school a year before, you know? Mm. And so at times we have been, uh, it's almost like, I don't know what happened back then, really. I was born in 1960. I don't know what happened back then. Was curriculum uh, given to the white school first and then we, the black schools get it next or what? I don't know. But that's what happened. So, but I did question that even last night when I thought about it. Why did that school get it the next year? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, and none of them knew my thoughts or anything. But beyond that, in regard to environmental racism, we think about where our the black community has been positioned in the city. Think about it. Uh, we have uh, there in our in our area. They're really near refineries that could cause harm to their health. And just recently, there was an explosion that took place and people had to be tested for, you know, to find out if something had gone wrong. And I forgot exactly what uh, the interest was at that time, but it went on for days. And uh, so they encouraged people to, to leave, evacuate, because this sudden scent that came out into the community was not good. But that's where they live. These uh, people mm-hmm. of the black community live in that area, but only... Well, also, I witnessed that in the black community, the uh, waste uh, 
plant is near their homes. You know, all mm-hmm. where the every, all the garbage is dumped. They they put that in our communities, and so people begin to believe at times, and they, they might not even recognize what's really going on. But later on, you can begin to examine yourself and see how you may have felt less than. Uh, and then you look at the big picture. There's so many things that were going on, uh, and nobody really really talked about it a whole lot, but. That is something that uh, you can go from city to city and, and witness some of those things in the, the black community uh, where lo- the lower income people reside and the things mm-hmm. that they've had to endure. Yeah. I also think it's more in the sense where like when you kind of like grow up that like generational thing that like pa- is passed down when you grow up and you don't even have those resources like in, within a black community or a low income area when you don't even have those resources to even then have the education to even realize that you're being treated differently because mm-hmm. you never had that access to begin with kind of thing and mm-hmm. that's that's like this that systemic racism that um we've been talking about it's and kind of like even just going back to like redlining and people being like people of color being districted to certain locations in cities um, and those resources and the amount of money that are put into like that, those areas. And I think that was like, Ken talked about that, like touched upon it because it's like, it's, it's so important where you don't, if you don't have the resources, how do you break out of the system? But the system's not really, helping to lift you up Mm. or lift your community up. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Ken, quite a bit ago, you talked about some ways that people can um, get involved in in what we can do as as a country to make change. And we've been seeing a lot of stuff on the news. There's obviously a lot of peaceful protests here in Washington, D.C. We've been seeing a great amount of awesome peaceful protests Um, There's been discussions of things like dismantling police departments and changing those kinds of things. We see it in Washington State, what they've done. Um, So I I would love to just hear from both of you kind of your ideas and opinions and thoughts on what changes could be made. It's obviously going to take time and a lot of thought, but I'd love to just hear any ideas or thoughts or questions or concerns you guys have about what can be done to make change. Okay. Valencia, uh, would you allow me to go this time? Yeah, uh, of Okay. Well, okay. I uh, thought about that uh, recently, uh, that we really have to consider the fact that uh, it's going to be a while before things could really uh, fully change, but we have mm-hmm. to begin somewhere. And uh, so one thing I would like to just, uh, bring up the fact that we, everyone should be intentional in your efforts, uh, really mm-hmm. think about what, you, what your focus should be and place an emphasis on the most positive as far as being a part of the solution instead of uh, being a part of the problem uh, that would, would grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, we have to keep an open mind and uh, really listen to uh, one another more about what matters to one another uh, from race to race, from culture to culture. We just have to really think about all of that. and. Uh, and focus on becoming better educated on what people uh, have faced uh, from uh, culture to culture. And I think we can better understand one another. And when it comes to diversity, we really should, we, we talk about it. Uh, once I was a part of a, a, a diversity inclusion council and I thought, oh, that's great. I love diversity. I really love it. As we went through the processes, I learned there's so much more that I needed to accept about mm. the, with the, within the differences that we all have. Uh, because sometimes we are, we can get stuck in our own thoughts and processes and really dismiss whatever everybody else might be wanting to say. And you just, you might close yourself off from that. I don't want to hear that. This is the way I see it. And the way I see it is the right way. And so we have to start opening up to listening to one another and uh, really giving it everybody, give everyone a chance to speak and be heard. Yeah. Let's when you chime in. Yeah, of course. Um, so at least from what I've seen, I think education is so important. I think especially for younger age generations and things like that, it's, you spend so much of your time at school. So 
I mean, this is a big ask, but I think if um, I'm in, I mean, I'm in, get, I'm getting my master's in this area, so it's very different. But in one of the classes that everyone's required to take is a privilege, race, oppression, and power course. So mm-hmm. I would, I would love to see within like younger gener, like in like elementary school and middle schools, like courses like that offered and like be required just so it's not it's just so that people are getting that education and that information when they're mm-hmm. starting school mm-hmm. um and i obviously like i said before you're not taught to be racist but it's so like internalized and inherent that it's continued and passed down um like family lines and just throughout the world that if you're spending so much time at school already um you if you're taking classes on it maybe you're gonna learn um the learn not to be learn the issues and be concerned about um maybe this is wrong or this policy isn't supporting other communities and and moving up from there and then going obviously into higher education and growing from that growing from there mm-hmm. yeah that's great hey claire can i go back to defunding and dismantling yeah please yes. by all means yeah because uh, i didn't say a few things that are I, initially when i heard the the proposal of defunding uh, the police department or dismantling uh in minneapolis and so other so many other cities are now jumping on that bandwagon um initially i thought wow that could be a negative thing we have some some police officers that are trying to do a good job. They're trying to do the right thing. So initially, I didn't know what that would entail. So I thought about, wow, would we be causing more harm if we defunded them? But then after a while, I began to uh, listen to the news, read more. And I thought about, I saw heard some of the actual things. There's like police departments in New York City. Uh, there is, uh, their their department is fun, has more of a, a budget, a larger budget than any other uh, department and mm-hmm. so but what that's because they're working on so many other issues other than just protecting and serving mm-hmm. and so the conversation went into talking about social work and mm-hmm. uh, should another organization get that funding to be able to provide those services to the community while the police focus on what really uh, needs to be focused on because they, it, they were t- there was talk about uh, how long it would take a police officer to get to a situation, somebody down 911, and they said um, somebody has, people have died because it took so long for the police officer to even get there. Uh, and so all these other things that they were fun to do just to uh, give them something to do other than when they're having to address uh, issues, um, it has gotten so big till some of the organizations could be, could be providing some of those services that they cannot effectively provide it needs that needs to be thought of. So I was I'm, I'm leaning toward uh, that more than just taking, you know, a lot of their funds from them. But fund where they need to be funded. But those things that can be addressed, those issues that they are trying to a- address, if it can be handled by another organization, a nonprofit, or you know, whatever mm-hmm. the city wanted to do, consider is it is it effective to continue them handling all of those issues when and some people that need service to be protected from danger, uh, uh, you know, would you rather work on those issues while these people are being harmed, you know, or would you want to get to that address as soon as, as you possibly can? And uh, it's a shame, though, that sometimes it's taken so long that people have actually died before the police could even get there to try to offer help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if we <laughs> watched or read the same thing, but I think you, like, touched on so many great points where I saw this video and it was while the um, police are there to protect and serve, maybe it's like when someone is suicidal or when some, or when there's a domestic violence issue, you call the police. But in some cases, the video was saying that maybe in a domestic violence issue, maybe that funding should maybe be put towards more social workers to come and deescalate that situation um, because when people see police some in a lot of cases it's escalated and so i think like the defunding isn't saying taking take away all their money but it's saying maybe put funds towards other areas 
to be brought into those types of situations that don't really need that protect and serve um, aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know we're getting close to the end and you guys have offered so many amazing things. Um, maybe we can just close out one of the last questions. I know um, you already did a great job of uh, Valencia of talking about it, but do you guys just mind t- touching on as people who both have a disability and are part of the black community, do you feel like, um, you, you know, you have different perspectives? I'm kind of setting the question up because I'm sure you do have different perspectives, but can you touch a little bit on kind of how you feel like um, that impacts being part of one community versus the other? And I just love to hear about that intersectionality. Yeah, of course. Um, So I guess for me, it's in the instance, I think a lot about if I was ever put in George Floyd's position or in Breonna Taylor's position. And I don't use any, like a cane or any type of device or like accommodation really. And so I think, like, I think if I was put in that situation, it's still the first thing that police offers, that police officer would see would be my skin tone. And Mm -hmm. that is like always my first impression. So I think it's it's so important for me to not only realize like, okay, that's no matter what my first impression, but then again, how, if I need something in large print or if I need this, is it, is that opinion, not opinion, but is that identity erased? You know, like if mm-hmm. I have to go to like my school's like disability services office, that opinion is never erased to me or that identity is never erased from me. I'm not... I'm still seeing, I'm still, my first impression is always that I'm black. My first impression is always that I'm identify as female, you know? So it's like, I could still be asking for accommodations, but no matter what, I'm still like a black female and that's your first impression of me. So Mm -hmm. it's, for me, I'm just like, it's always, I'm always thinking about how do I move through the world? You know, how do I, how do, how are people going to see me? And then also with that continued, like, disclosing my disability or, you know, like, how do I move through the world as a Black female with a disability? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's a tricky, it's tricky (laughs) to say the least, but I think I've learned in some ways how to kind of get through and how to move through the world. Um, That works for me. And I'm I'm still learning every day. I'm still realizing my the privileges I do have, but then also the privileges I don't and that people um do and that others do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. can I just reframe the question a little bit for mm-hmm. for you um, from Claire's initial question. Um, I'm curious because you have acquired your disabilities later in life, have you noticed a a change? in how you are treated um, as a black male prior to having a disability and now being a black male with a disability? Well, uh, I I would like to to say that I was thinking about being black and blind. Um, There is some similarities there when it comes to how you're treated. Uh, Some people think less of me because of my skin tone. I like the way Valencia said skin tone. And then when you look at me being blind, there are some people that don't, they don't see as many of us out in the community doing a lot of different things where I live. So they're surprised at times, but some people have views of us uh, as a person with uh, blindness or even other disabilities that we are less than and we're not capable of being independent mm-hmm. and we have to live a life of dependency. And some of us are demonstrating that, no, I can still live and, and contribute to society and I want to be able to do that. but. Uh, before, like I, I lost my sight at age 41, which is 18 years ago. And so prior to that, you know, I know that I was accepted within the company. I was moving up in management and all. Uh, but, you know, there's always some underlying uh, situations going on where people are not uh, favoring you. And it's rare that they would come straight to me and tell me, but I may hear it from somebody else about what somebody said uh, or what they thought. And so because of 
what their thoughts have been about people or the black community previously, I was put in a certain category. I could only go so far with, with my disability. I could only go so far in some people's from their point of view. And so sometimes we have to prove, we have to live or we have to demonstrate more for them to witness us doing things in order for them to believe that we can, you know, and, uh, and that we can move forward even, even though we're uh, somewhat being held back. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, especially with having a disability, I think it's so important to state that having a disability doesn't mean you're incapable. And I think that um, ACV does a great job of like showing that and showing that people within the blind community and the disabled community can move through the world and be so impactful and powerful and do the things they want um, without any like barriers. And I think mm -hmm. that's like an important message. Um, like the stigma of having a disability is very um, strong, I feel like. And, but I don't think disabled, I, we need to continue to say that disabled does not mean incapable. And mm -hmm. I think it's just a very important message. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much to both of you. I have really enjoyed listening and learning from you guys. I know I've taken a lot away from this, um, and I hope our listeners feel the same way. Um, I think we're going to need you guys back at another time because I've really enjoyed this. So thank you so much. Well, thank um, you, Claire and Clark, for all you do. Uh, and I'm just so honored to be a part of ACB and seeing that we have a great staff working on behalf of uh, Americans who are blind and visually impaired. So uh, you all are doing a great job. Yeah, well, definitely. I was, I, was, I was happy to be here and I'm just very grateful that um, ACB is having the conversations and at least um, getting the important information out there to people who may not have um, access to it. Mm. Yeah. And for more conversations like this within ACB, um, the ACB Multicultural Affairs Committee will be conducting some convention programming at the ACB virtual conference and convention. Registration is now open and you can find out uh, information about registration as well as attending uh, all sessions, including those of the Multicultural Affairs Committee on the convention website, which is acb.org, excuse me, acbconvention.org. Great. Well, thank you again for our um, guests. I, again, I just can't thank you guys enough. Thanks for all of our listeners listening. We're glad that you were back this week for our longer episode, and we will be back next week again with another um, podcast. So thank you again for being continuing listeners. We really enjoy it. And as always, if you have any um, advocacy needs, that's what we're here for. Email us at advocacy at acb.org or contact us at the national office. And Clark, what do we always say at the end of our podcast? In solidarity with all ACB members and everyone across the nation, we say, keep advocating. That's right. Thank you. listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.